0: What, you want me to teach you something? You want to learn something? You talking to me? Just talking? Well, what's the show about? It's about
1: nothing. Hi, and welcome to a very special episode of Must Talk About Nothing, a show about movies, music, and more, where, as always, I'm your host, Grant Ingram, and we're back. Honestly, this is probably the last episode this week, so we've probably been back for at least one, maybe two episodes, but we're back, had a brief hiatus, long story... You've probably heard about it already. Anyway, so today we have a very special guest, but before I introduce him, joining me is my co-host. It is Grant Skillen. How are you doing, Grant? Yeah,
2: Ulysses is doing good. How are you?
1: I'm <laughs> doing well. Um, I finally got over my little voice cold and...
2: Grant no longer has...
1: Yep. Um, and also, I'm here... But joining us today to talk about WandaVision and the rest of his career, it is Mr. Larry Houston. So, Mr. Houston, um, is there, like, anyone you wish, like, throughout your career, we've we talked about that the last time we interviewed you, but is there anyone you wish you could have worked with, like any icon or anything?
0: I, yeah, there were, I mean, the, these are guys before me, but there's a guy named, uh, he used to work at Hannibal Bear named Alex Toth. And he designed a lot of the Hanna Barbera cartoons, the uh, Space Ghosts, and um, the other superhero characters from Hanna Barbera. And I, I wish I had had a chance to work with him because um, he was an expert at that type of minimalist drawing. But it was so the the, uh, the drawings were so strong. Um, just you know, I would have loved to work with him and and pick up pick up some tips on how he did how he came to that style. Cause it's from the old school style from like the forties and fifties. And he brought that forward into the Hanna Barbera cartoons. And um that was, you know, that would be one guy. Um I'm trying to remember there's another guy who did a lot of slapstick uh cartoons. Um and I can't remember his name, but he uh, the name escapes me again. I have to write it down. But um probably Tolton is other uh artist he did he did a lot of cartoons where they have these gigantic takes you know the eyes bug bug out and everything and i can't remember the name but but anyway, probably those two but you know they were both before my time
1: okay that uh, yeah that's a it was an interesting art style I'm i'm familiar with the one you're talking about yeah i would have been interested to see how that would have come out in the x-men
0: but you know i got a chance in the business to work with uh You know, growing up as a kid, reading Marvel comic books, and then when I got into the business, um, Jack Kirby was coming, working in the business, so was Gil Kane, and uh, to be able to walk and talk to them, like, they come in the door, and you're talking to them like another artist, and this is the guy that drew everything I loved, and that was really exciting to talk to Kirby and talk to to Gil Kane. You know, we took him to lunch and stuff, and we would talk about all, all the stuff they were working on, and... They were very happy to talk to us because we're the young kids, like we're like twenty mid 25s, 30s and we're fans of their work. And so they really were um, not proud, not proud, but they were really uh, like the fact that we admired their work from what they had done back in the 60s and 70s. Um, John Bissama was another one. John Bissama came out to the studio and for about a week uh, he was filming um, uh, how to Draw Comics the Marvel Way with Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. And so he was there for about a week, working on the shows, filming filming some stuff. And uh, so that was another person I was really you know happy to... We took him out to lunch several times. <laughs> and uh, several times when he was drawing uh, some model sheets and he would, like, throw stuff away, we'd raid the trash can <laughs> and <laughs> grab all the little stuff that he didn't... He thought was garbage. It's like, no, this is gold. <laughs> he kept him, you know? uh stuff like that so yeah it it was i've had i've been lucky to work with people i really admire and um there's there's, obviously there's a few that i wish i had worked with but you know it was not the right time
2: right
0: Uh, are you guys artists
2: i'm not not (laughs) at all (laughs) I, okay, I try to be
1: occasionally, but it's it's not my my strong suit.
0: When I was growing up, there was a there was um I'm six. What am I next? Sixty six, yeah. Well, back in the '60s, there was, there was a cartoon that came on the air that was my favorite back then. I don't know if you guys can see this thing. Let's see. It's so much glare.
1: Um, Astro Boy.
0: Yeah, Astro Boy.
1: I love and that so was
0: that. actually my inspiration to draw when I was in elementary school because I would rush home from school, turn on the TV and I love this show this little kid that looked about my size flying around and beating up robots and it was so inspiring that I would I would come home and I'd have a sheet of paper and I you know and I look at and go okay, there's an eye okay and I start drawing something. there's an ear. And I'd have to watch and oh, there's a, there's a whatever that thing is coming from top of his head, you know. I it took days to figure out <laughs> how to draw this character, and um, it's that's the character that I can remember the most that started me to want to, you know, take the ideas that are in here and put it on paper was Astro Boy. So, and after that, it was another character called um, a Gigantor. Um, then it was like speed racer and stuff like that but it was mainly astro Boy that started me to actually want to put pencil to paper and draw something and you know the other kids like what i was oh look he's an artist i'm going i guess i am (laughs) (laughs) looks like scribble to me but it you know it got me on that path (laughs) to wanting to draw and stuff like that
1: that's uh oh keep going i'm sorry
0: Oh no! I was gonna. The other thing I was gonna say was, um, when my mom would take me to the barber shop, um, in the middle there'd be these magazines, and then there'd be a stack of these comic books, but the top third was ripped off. And so I'd pick up the books, and I'd. Uh, there'd be like uh, some Donald Duck, Super Goof, and then they had this one that was like I um, I don't know what it was, but it was the Fantastic Four. Uh, An early issue where the thing was beating beating up on a silver surfer, that issue. And it was like, I'm reading going, what is this? You know, the artwork, the style of writing just, it was like, it took me a while because the words were so big, I had to, I kept uh, trying to read it and kept asking my mom, what is this? What is this? What is this? She ended up giving me a dictionary and said, here, you figure it out, you know, so, (laughs) i was trying to increase i was trying to figure out what what was being said and also have a dictionary trying to figure out okay that means what okay and keep going back backwards and forwards and that kind of led me in that direction of uh starting to track marvel comic books and then figure out what it wasn't until i like the first page when you read the bottom that's the indicia and say so, oh fantastic four it gave me the number so that's what gave me the clue to start looking for that in the grocery stores
1: and stuff. So, so you collected comics growing up?
0: Yeah, back in elementary school. I started somewhere like in the third grade and stuff. But like like most kids, uh, you learned that if you if you if you bought comic books, you left them in your room, your mom thought it was trash. And so she'd collect them and throw them away. So you, ha- I, you learn a lesson how you buy the books, you put them into a stack, put them in a box, hide them under your bed far in the far corner and then you actually you know those there's a chance that mom wouldn't toss them you know and so you, you you learn the lesson i mean that's that's part of the reason i think why superman one is so expensive because mom saw it as like like a newspaper oh he's done threw it away you know and uh that's how superman one became so valuable because mom's got rid of them. <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah, so I learned my lesson how to hide my books, and stuff like that. I still it still, you know, I lost a lot. But uh, I was able to replace them later on. Back then you could get uh, the FF number one, I think it was real expensive. I think it was like 1520 bucks back then.
1: Whew.
0: So that was a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you can say you can buy a comic book for 10 cents, 12 cents back when I was growing up. You know, $25 your mom would probably shoot you. <laughs> you bought a comic book for $25. You know, you know I mean, bread and stuff was like 30 cents. You know, it's, a, it's all relative, you know, to yeah. to your income.
1: Now now the most valuable books go for fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000.
0: Yeah, yeah. Insane. <laughs> yes, I, I had a, um, I told my friends, you know, if I could go back in time and talk to myself, my younger self, I'd say buy Jack Kirby originals <laughs> and hide them somewhere. <laughs> you know, whatever. Just buy whatever you can. You know, just stick them in a storage room. I don't know, whatever. But just hold on to them for now. About twenty years, thirty years, whatever. Because um, each one of those pages are like twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars each now. Sometimes a hundred thousand. I think the one with the first Silver Surfer, that page where he. He's off the mountains skiing. It went for one hundred and twenty thousand dollars.
2: Oh my gosh! Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah so. That's...
2: Yeah. Bye, Kirby Originals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they probably don't do that now, just because of how much they cost. Yeah. Yeah. As now cool as it late, would now. be, but. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's too late now to to jump on that bandwagon. It's our the horses out the barn.
2: <laughs> gosh. So what was your time on Batman the Animated Series like and how did that come about?
0: Um, let's see. Um, the director in charge of that is Bruce, is, uh, Bruce Tim, mm-hmm. And we all, when I first got into business in 1980, I think it's 81, um, Bruce and I worked at Filmation together um, way back in the, when we first got into the business. I was uh, doing storyboards on... Let's see. Uh it was called Tarzan, Flash Gordon, and oh Lone Ranger. Yes. It was a Tarzan, it was an hour. And I was working on, on doing storyboards on that show. And Bruce Tim was the, was doing prop designs with another artist called Russ Heath, who was a veteran artist, comic book artist. we doing uh Lone Ranger stuff and um What's the other one? Uh, Lone Ranger and, um, oh, war comic books. He was really good at that. Anyway, that's where Bruce and I met. We got, and uh, we've been friends since then. And since if you go fast forward from 1980 to about his show, I think our shows got off, on the air at the same time in 1992, we were just friends. And so I was directing on X Men, he was directing on Batman. And uh, he called me up saying, hey, you want to do some storyboard work freelance? So, uh he gave me a script, gave me the model sheets. I did I did I think I did two episodes with him uh on Batman. Okay. And so was, basically we basically we're friends and re- he wanted to give me some work. You know I could do the work. And so that's how that's how that came about. Wow. And old friendships.
2: So, so we have <laughs> connections. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well we started off all young kids, you know, like like you guys, mm-hmm. you know starting at a business and uh, just, it's it's an old friendship. I mean, a lot of the um, people who um, started at Filmation went on to become get bigger careers. Um, there's a guy named um, Jeff Darrell, who does a lot of good artwork. He was working there as Filmation as one of the uh, background designers. Um, there's another one called uh, Smith, was Paul Smith who became an x-men artist he, we all started at the same place um uh, let's see There was another one called um uh, boyd kirkland who went on to to uh become one of the directors on batman um and uh frank parr also he went on to also direct the um uh, the gargoyles from uh, disney
1: oh, that, that show should have lasted so much longer
0: yeah yes Good. so Uh, another friend was, um, oh, geez, I'm going to figure his name again. Uh, I'm terrible at this. He did the, he did X-Men evolution and Wolverine and the X-Men. And, um, I just lost the name. It'll come back to me later. But anyway, we were all friends at the same place. We all kind of dispersed into the industry, you know? Wow. It was, it was a good time to get into the, into the business.
1: That sounds like um, like comic book animation ground zero.
0: <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, what what I was told was that before we got into the business, and basically 1980, that's when the doors opened wide. About 10 years prior to that, the business was very closed, and there wasn't any new blood coming into new 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 kids coming to the business for about a decade prior. But in 1980, there was a lot of work that opened up. And so, a lot of us got in the door at that time. And um, Steve Gordon, Gordon, that's his name. Steve Gordon was the director on um, um, X-Men Evolution and um, Wolverine and the X-Men, that's right. Um, And I didn't know that at the time, I didn't find this out to way, way later, but when I got hired at Filmation, I was the first black storyboard artist Hired for that job for Saturday morning, and I did not know that, you know. Wow. And I, I'll just, I was just happy to have a job. <laughs> I was getting paid every week. I was just, and I could draw Spider-Man and got paid for it. You know, it was like it was like heaven, you know. And you know, I got to work at uh, Marvel Productions, Stanley's office. It's like two doors down. I could talk to him every day. It was like I did that for like ten years. It was like great.
2: It's you know, still meet, crazy to think about, like, it's like working near him for so long. It's just crazy to think about.
0: Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, all I can say is like, you know, a like kid in the candy store, you know, you know, got Stanley at one place. I do freelance for another place and meet Kirby and meet Kane. Um, it was just, uh, that was a good time. Good times. It was the 80s and 90s and it was, it was a great time to be. It was a great time to get into animation, you know, into the business.
1: Gosh. So so you mentioned Stan Lee, you and Stan Lee talked every day. Did you guys keep in touch, like, after after you left Marvel, or was that just kind of a working relationship? Or,
0: Well, yeah, we kept in contact. Um, he actually, when he left, when, when I left uh, Marvel Productions, he had another company there he created called... Um, Uh, Stanley Media, somewhere in the late 90s, and he called me up and I got hired to work for him on that show to get that off the ground. That that was his internet company that kind of went belly up, but at least he he remembered me and hired me to work on that again. But um, yeah, we we stayed in contact off and on, you know, um, from Marvel, the end of Marvel Productions I think was like 1990. So the, from 1992, when I got hired at Stanley Media, might have been like eight years—an eight-year gap. Wow! But off and on, we we run into each other because we go to conventions and we talk, stuff like that. That's.
1: That, uh, I'm sorry. That's just as as a as a geek myself. That's just awesome
0: <laughs> to me. And yeah, um. what I tell people about Stan, because people are asking about Stan. I mean, I'm as. I try and remember the conversations that we had, but it's, it's been so long. I remember key conversations, but not the every day, because I saw them every day, you can't remember everything. But I tell people there's those three Stan Lees who would come to work every day. And it was either Peter Parker, Spider-Man, or J. Jonah Jameson. It was one of those three <laughs> who would walk in the door every day. And so if it was Peter Parker, uh, it's like I'm talking to you guys right now. It's no big deal. It's like an every everyday person. If it was Spider-Man, it's literally got I'm 20. I was 25 years old about the time. Can you imagine this? This older guy literally jumping on your table, saying, "No, this is how Spider-Man does it." And the fingers touch the wall. You got to show that how it adhered. I mean, he was. It was like it was like whoa. You know, it was really over the top. And then maybe the third one is going to be J. Jonah Jameson, where he's had a bad day, I don't know, something happened at home, he comes to work, he's grouchy, you just, okay, you learn to stay away, wait until that mood changes, <laughs> and then maybe go talk to him, hey Stan, how you doing, you know, and it, maybe it, you know, it, it would change. Um, the studio we were at had, it was kind of like a big donut, like a square donut, and the middle had an atrium. And Stan would love to go to the atrium, um, on his in a chair. He'd have this reflector thing like this, trying to get a suntan. And I always thought, that's the craziest thing to do in it. You want to get cancer? What are you doing? You know. But that's what he loved. Either he'd do it there, or he had like a um, he had a VW bug with an open top. I think it was open top, or maybe it's convertible. I'm not sure. But sometimes he'd be out there in the, in the back parking lot doing the same thing, getting the suntan (laughs) with the reflector stuff. I just thought, Oh, well, okay. He's Stan, I guess he knows what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Let him be him. (laughs) He's earned it. Yeah.
0: But, um, you know, he had some cool tips on on how to uh, on on writing superhero stuff. And when people write their comic books, and when they create new characters, he would he told me this one little nugget of information which I'd never forgot, which was keep the fantastic, fantastic, and the ordinary, ordinary. And what he meant by that, he gave up, he told me, say, look, imagine you're you got a scene of citizen civilians, and then you have Superman flying by and he and and he's shooting his rays from his eyes. And the word balloons would be, look, would be like the civilian saying, look there's Superman choosing his heat vision to stop this robot or something like that, you know? Change it again, you have the exact same scene and the citizens are going, whoa, what the hell was that, you know? And by keeping the fantastic, you know, that's the difference in keeping the the uh, general public reaction to something fantastic going on. It makes a better storytelling, you know? And it keeps the perspective of like, Now, something really fantastic and something ordinary, and a lot of writers who create their comic books don't remember this, they forget forget to incorporate the ordinary, which is one of the strengths of Spider-Man, when he created Spider-Man, here he is doing all these fantastic things, fighting all these fantastic characters, but he had all these other problems with, you know, trying to pay the rent, his Aunt May, stuff like that, he had the ordinary stuff, you know, bullies and all that kind of stuff, and so... Um, that was like a gem of uh, insight he gave me when I was working this. So but when I've, I've read it, I've created my own little comic books off and on. And uh, you know, re- keeping it in the back of my mind when you're making stuff up is really key to making a better story.
1: That's. I guess it just adds like a sense of scale. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people forget that they write stories and everything is way up here. And it's like, you don't have a, you don't have a point of reference when you're writing stories like that. It's like, you, you got to keep the viewer's point of view and, and the ordinary, you know, what the hell is this going on? You know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, that kind of stuff. You got to have that in all the stories so that you, you can relate to what's going on. That's,
1: that's something I would never have thought of. I, I just would have, yeah.
0: Yeah. See a lot of people, cause I, I, I buy more independent books than I do regular comic books anymore. And I try and support you know, young talent creating their own little titles, and I try and read them and stuff and get into it. Um, a lot of them want to have this entire mythology in their head, and then they know exactly how it works, and then they put it in the, on the comic book, expecting everybody to know what they know, and it's not there. <laughs> you know. Um, One of the things we figured out when we did the very first X-Men story was that the X-Men had this story like this, you know, it's like huge, you know, 30, 40 years of of X-Men and stories and like that. And how are we going to introduce this to to the world who have no idea what a mutant is? They have no idea what the X-Men is. At best, um, there's a million people who might know who the X-Men is. But in order to stay on the air you need five, 10 million people to watch your shows to keep it on the air so we, we we did the story of like take one character who knows nothing about the x-men who's jubilee and have the she's the ordinary and then the fantastic which is the sentinel comes in after her, and she has no idea what the hell's going on she's just running for her life she doesn't she doesn't know who are heroes who are friends she's just haul well, hauling ass to get out and, um, when she gets knocked out and wakes up, she's in this place. And as she discovers what, who, who everybody is and who they are, so does the audience. So it's a natural way of using exposition to get the people who don't know the mythology into the story, because as she learns, the audience learns at the same time. And it's a, it's a natural way of, of, uh, telling the story. That's genius. Like,
2: is very genius. Yeah. Having
1: like we we watched the pilot and talked about it a little bit, I guess a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. and now looking back on it, I can definitely see that. But that's not something I was actively picking up, and I, I think that's a testament to how well it works. Like I don't I don't feel like you just this is Wolverine, but I, I feel like I'm learning as everybody else is.
0: Right, and yeah. so they, and also the guy, um, um Brian Singer. Um when he did the live action X-Men, he said he he only watched our shows, our animated shows. And he did the same thing. He he basically did the same thing that we did, only instead of Jubilee's Wolverine. You right. know, rogue, you know, Wolverine gets knocked out. He wakes up in the X-Mansion and as he goes through, and as he gets the explanation, so does the audience. So they did the same thing we did.
1: That's high praise. Like that's yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's 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 a good way of introducing a a complicated mythology to to the regular person. It's like, um, uh, what's the other film? Um, um, Harry Potter. You start (laughs) off with a kid living underneath the stairs. He gets put into this fantastic situation who he knows nothing about. And as he learns, so does the audience. And so it's, it's a way of really introducing a new world to 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 an audience, very easily, not easily, but naturally.
2: Yeah, it, it's not just trying to force stuff on them. It's as Harry goes mm-hmm. along, and he learns stuff like, "Oh, that's cool," We're, and then you learn along with him, and exactly. it makes sense.
1: Yeah, it almost makes the audience like one of the characters at that point.
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's a great way of uh, it's a, it's it's a great way to get your story started because once you figure out all the. the the the, what's there then when the jeopardy starts you have you have an idea of the consequences of what's going on
1: yeah and just like with the the ordinary ordinary and the fantastic fantastic it gives you the scale of what this isn't always exploding right yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) yeah and for me i just i you know as a when i when i was reading the books in the 60s marvel was under the their distribution was under the control of um dc comics which was called national periodic publications in the 60s and they would only let marvel publish like maybe six or eight books that's it because dc did everything had all the 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 real estate to show all their books they just very small space for marvel so what stan did in each one of his books, it would be like two and one. You're like half, of, half Hulk, half something else. And so what he did was in Spider-Man, this is what I remember, and just maybe one panel, Spider-Man, and then suddenly here's Thor goes through a scene. And and I think Spider-Man says, hey, watch where you're throwing that thing, or something off, off the cuff that Stan wrote. But at the bottom, he'd have a footnote. That would be, if you want to see where Thor is going, but, you know, see issue, tells of suspense number, blah, 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 whatever it is. So he learned how to cross-promote the books because they were like under the, 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 the thumb of DC Comics. Well for me as a kid, it was great because it suddenly made it a connected universe by accident because he was cross-promoting the books, which never occurred in any of the DC books I was reading. So fast forward from the 60s to the, in the 90s, when I'm uh, doing the X-Men. Um, I wanted to do the same thing. Just add maybe a cameo or Easter egg of adding characters just for one one scene. And I tried to put Spider-Man like in the background somewhere. And um, the powers that be said, no, can't do that. And I said, well, Spider-Man's on the same network. What's the problem? (laughs) Never got an answer. uh, There was an episode that came up called... um, Oh, God. It was called uh, Slave Island, I think it was called, where all the mutants were had the collars on, and they were slaves. Mm-hmm. The writer wrote... Um, they didn't... You know, when the writers actually did not know the Marvel characters at all. I did. They didn't. I had to educate them. Um, but they wrote a story <laughs> where, other than speaking parts, they had mutants called Mutants 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And they had, they had speaking parts, but... They had no idea who they were. So I, I physically brought my comic book collection to work. I put it on the Xerox <laughs> machine and say, okay, make this one the blob, make this Mystique, make this Sunfire, make this North Star. And but the thing is I kept the original names, mutants one, two, three, four, five. And when the model sheets went out to be approved, I didn't hear anything. Okay, I think I figured this out. <laughs> And so from that point forward, when I would add cameos, I never call them the names that I, that they really were, and so that's how all of those cameos got put into the system, into the series, because I figured out how not to, you know, raise the profile of what I was trying to do, and, um, and later on I think I I think I was told, or either I guessed it myself that uh, the company they didn't want the company Saban to not have rights to characters they didn't pay for. So that's why they didn't want me to prove Spider-Man. Where, you know, later on, Spider-Man and the X-Men crossed over into, a, you know, I think a three or four part episode, but that's actually they signed contracts by saying, we're doing this, but you don't know you don't know Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's how for me, I was able to sneak in all of the cameos throughout the X-Men series.
1: I think, I think yeah. my favorite cameo is probably the Howard the Duck one. You enlightened me to last
2: time. That was I,
1: I went immediately and went and found it. I'm like, this is it's here.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right after Grant sent me a message, probably 15 minutes later, I found the Howard the Duck one. He was right about the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We kind of it,
0: nobody said anything. It was like it was a T-shirt, and we didn't call him Howard the Duck.
2: Just, but they don't know. It won't hurt them. <laughs>
0: Okay, so model, she went through. Nobody said anything.
1: Okay, that's how it went. You know. Wow. I I just I I love my Howard the Duck. So.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of ducks, how was your time on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Oh, that was. (laughs) And and how did that come about? (laughs) That's
0: a good transition there. (laughs) Ducks to rats to
1: turtles, yeah. It's a segue. Um, let's see. When
0: I was working on Howard, when I was working on Howard, when I was working on Ninja Turtles, um, I was basically working at Marvel Productions in the daytime and doing freelance in the evenings. So I was, like I said, I was young. I could work day and night without losing sleep. And I ended up doing about um, 118 episodes oh freelance. Gosh. Yeah.
2: <laughs> freelance. A lot
0: of, yeah. <laughs> Freelance, yeah. They're basically working at home, work at work. And I was just drawing, drawing, drawing like crazy. It was a lot of fun. Um, but the the guy I was working with was, um, I had to write it down. His name was uh, uh, Elliot Darrow was my main contact point. He was my production manager. And his bosses were like, Walt Kubiak and Bill Wolf. And those are my contact points. And they would give me the scripts and model sheets. And I would go home and draw it up and have fun with it and um that was a fun series because they also allowed me to um improvise and take the script and just have some more fun with it and so they didn't lock me down to you know to to okay you have to do this angle you have to do that angle no just have fun you know and just try and i was able to bring a lot of action to it by bringing in my um I loved anime at the time coming through, still do, and I was able to add some of that type of um, storytelling to the shows and and have some fun and 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 make it exciting for me.
1: So, so you essentially like storyboarded in a long-running TV show in your spare time.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but At least you know the shows had uh, were like three act shows, and so I probably worked on one of the acts. For almost the entire series well maybe yeah it was like 65 65 what is that um 120 episodes yeah i guess i worked on at least one act of every show wow yeah
2: That's... in your spare time In because spare spare time.
0: Time. <laughs> <laughs> the day the day job was um let's see gi joe or the hulk Spider-Man's Amazing Friends, um, Bigfoot and Muscle Machines, um, Defenders of the Earth. Um, that was my day job. And then I was doing that at nighttime.
1: Yeah. Wow. So, so during the day, you were working on these huge properties, and at night, you were working on this huge property. And...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is, that at the time, it was like... it. Did, it didn't feel like work. It was kind of like, I would get the script and it's fun. I'm getting paid to draw Spider-Man. I'm getting paid to draw the Hulk. I'm getting paid to draw the Ninja Turtles. And it's like, it wasn't work. It was like, you know, give me more, give me more. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm just drawing like a crazy fool, you know, you know and, and having fun. So it did. Yeah. So it didn't feel like work. It was just, you know, kitten candy store. Give me one candy, more sugar, more sugar. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Wow.
1: I, I I'm sorry. I'm just I'm I'm very impressed that like that, that I love the the classic Ninja Turtles and just every episode, at least one act in your spare time. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> I I need to step up my my freelancing game. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's it was, I can't do that anymore. But I also I also worked on um, the Masters of the Universe. I did the uh, the mini comic books. I don't, I don't think I have anything here, but you know, the many comic books that would come with uh, the toys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did. I did about 10 of those at home. My spare time too, because they, they would, <laughs> I was doing the little comic books. I did um, a t-shirt, not t- yeah, t-shirt designs for a, uh, a, um, an apparel company in New York with uh GI Joe stuff on it. And so, yeah, it was, it was like, Wah! it was all coming out of all of my ears. I was just drawing like crazy. Want you to do this? Okay. Want to do this? Okay.
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> shows, t shirts, all of it, it, anything with art you did at some point.
0: Yes. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was like, it, I felt blessed because I felt like I was in the right place at the right time because everything was coming my way at the same time. And I was able to, my style of, storytelling um fit what they wanted because with that you know action adventure i could do that really well i can do that in my sleep and and uh so i was able to take that type of uh skill set and apply to all these different shows and even with the uh and especially with the comic books the little comic book things because i was a fan of jack kirby and and john d so I when i did little mini comic books uh it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun to practice like because my original goal was, I wanted to go to New York, be an artist. But I, I, one, I didn't know anybody. Two, I'm too poor, you know. So it's like I can't go to New York. I have no money. I don't know anybody. So when animation opened up, it's like, okay, let me try that over there. Because I had friends in the business who were working in animation. they They kept telling me, come on, come on down, come on down. You know, you love it. You love it. I'm going. Oh, okay. You know. So I gave it a shot, and, and it worked
1: and you worked on the most iconic shows in the history of cartoons yeah
0: yeah you know (laughs) the fun ones is like one of the fun ones was uh uh, thundar because that's where i got to meet kane and and kirby because they'd be bringing in their stuff for the shows they do the model sheets designs and so that's where i got a chance to meet a lot of those those great artists was at that show wow let me see if i i think i hold on a second i think it's over over here somewhere oh, okay. uh, here's some some of the old stuff <coughs> let's see there's some of the old you know some of the let's see some of the little mini comic books was like this oh wow you know it's like these these things I got about I did about 10 of them I think I got eight of them. I'm missing one, but I did all these little comics. And some of them were inked by uh, Bruce Tim. He was my inker. <laughs> A lot of these things before so he we was
1: creating what? Harley Quinn. Yes. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah. This back in that. Like <laughs> I said, this is back in. Uh, let's see. The copyrights for this is in 1986. So it's like, yeah, he, he was inking some of the stuff I was penciling. This this all stuff.
1: Wow, that's.
0: This is the very first one I did. This one I do remember. Um, let's see, I'm almost at the end. There's one. Here's one. And the last one was this one. Oh, wow. So I did all these little guys. And I, I got a chance to work with Roy Thomas on i don't know if you can see my name at the top yeah i worked with dc comics briefly i'm working on their all-star squadrons
2: that's it wow grant's having a huge like fanboy Uh, like
1: (laughs) just as like i read comics and i'm like people work on people work on these things oh yeah it's a lot of fun you know (laughs) Yeah, wow. So so you did do work over at DC. Um,
0: yeah, I did some work. Yeah, I worked on All-Star Squadron with Roy Thomas and also with uh, Scott Shaw on his book called uh, Captain Carrot and a Zoo Crew. I did some, I did inking on that stuff too. Wow. So, um, tentatively, I can, uh, Marvel just reached out to me and uh, I'm doing a, a variant cover Uh, for one of their X-Books that'll be coming out hopefully soon. So you'll be able to see my version of the, of the X-Men, but drawn in the nineties, the nineties show that I did.
1: I'm going to be buying like 10 of those. Um.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So that's coming up. Uh, I just finished the drawing. I finished their artwork. I gave it to the inker. His name is Rick Holberg. He's doing the finishes and I have no idea when it's going to be published, but, uh,
2: that's you know, it. you have at least one buyer, so we'll make it two. But.
0: Okay, <laughs> so that's coming up in the future.
2: I, I'm i going to be keeping an eye out for that. Um, Grant's like, I'll take the entire stock. I'll take
1: all of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's that's what's going on. Um, for me, you know, it's been like last year has been pretty dead because, because of the COVID stuff. But, you know, from the years when I retired back in 2016, I think. It's been pretty good for going out conventions and meeting the fans and talking to kids and sh- uh, doing artwork, sketches for them and stuff like that. And uh, talking about the X-Men, giving them backstories and stuff that nobody's seen. Um, that was really fun from up until last year, it was great. So I'm hoping that now the the, the everybody's getting their shots that uh, hopefully maybe next year, you know, San Diego Comic Con will be back, and New York Con and everybody else, and I'll be able to go out and travel and uh, see more people again because that was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I, I I've been to I think one con, and I, I I know I know what you mean. And I'm just looking at it from a fan perspective. It, it's it's awesome to meet you and people like you, and just like whoa! And so I I, I can't imagine what it'd be like to have all those people show up to to, to like looking for me like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, one person I never got a chance to meet um, yeah, recently was like Joe Sinek, because I he was uh, the anchor for Jack Kirby on all of his books. He passed away, I think, about a year or two ago. But he was like elderly. He was back east in New York. He didn't go to many conventions anymore. But when I was doing my own, I was doing my own comic books for my own pleasure. And I got a chance to draw, uh, I got a chance to ask him through uh, uh, through the mail if he would ink one of my drawings and he actually inked two of them. Never published it. I never, it's never been published but he inked several of my drawings and at some point I need to, I need to publish those books and get it out there because that's, you know, I got Joe Sinnott inking me <laughs> way back when I was a young, young, young person and, um, yeah, um, I got I a chance. I
2: am going to buy that too. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm buying all of them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I got a chance to to draw a comic book for Charlton Bullseye, uh, number four, where I created this group of uh, superhero hero females called uh, Vanguards, and they were like it was a lot. Of, that was a lot of fun uh, back then, and I'm trying to re. I've been trying to re reimagine the group, uh, do some backstories in my head. I wrote a um, a screenplay that I got an agent for and he got it into one of the agencies, CA. I think it was uh, Creative Artists to try and see if they want to wrap it and turn it into a movie. But then COVID hit, really shut down. <laughs> so uh, It's just sitting there somewhere, you know? So, you know, maybe, maybe something like it'll kick up next year, who knows?
1: All I know is if it gets made, I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> I got one person that said, great. I can guarantee you, I'm gonna watch this movie. Mm. Okay.
0: Uh, let's see what else kind of I'm trying to remember. Oh, so um, go ahead.
1: You. I was just gonna say you. You also worked on Static Shock, which yeah, is DC, and it's coming back now. Um, with movies and all kinds of stuff. I was just wondering what that was like, honestly, and how that how you got into that.
0: Um. Two of my friends were working on the show. Um, uh, Swinton Scott was the producer. I had to write it down. Swinton Scott was the producer and Vic Delcelli was one of the directors. And they introduced me to Dennis Cowan as you know, I'm gonna be working on the show. And uh, he actually didn't really know me, but once he saw my storyboards, he really liked what I was doing. But I, I basically came on in season three and season four. Season three was like 2003 in 2004 and i worked on several dwayne McDuffie scripts but i worked on let's see one two three four five six seven eight i worked on eight show eight shows in two years over wow. a freelance wow and that was a lot of fun but basically you know i got in the door because i you know uh friends knew me and uh in the business of animation it's all it's all built on um uh friendships and knowing who you're working with you know and basically you know when i was in charge of a show being a director i had to get people work and then when i wasn't directing they were they were directors they gave me work and so it kind of reciprocated that way and uh, and they also knew that you know i tried to hire people that i knew were professional that if i gave them work the work came back on time and it didn't require a lot of fixes and so once you establish that type of relationship, that that's how I got the work on um, Static Shock, because they knew my work before, and so I got a, got the chance to work on it, and almost on a regular basis, I you know I did, I was doing one, two, three, four episodes out of out of thirteen wow. every year. Wow.
1: That- I, I've seen, I, I'll, I'll admit, I haven't seen the whole show, but I, what I did see of it, I really enjoyed, and I, knowing that you worked on it, I'm now going to go back and <laughs> watch it. Um.
0: Yeah, I didn't come on in the first two years, but at least I came on the, the third and fourth year, so it was a lot of fun, you know, adding my, my style to what, what was being done. Um, it, it felt really good to, to, to uh, work on the show, and also, my directors gave me freedom, so they knew I was going to add stuff to it. You know, a little anime here, a little anime there to try and kick up the kick, kick up the actions
1: and stuff. Did you get Spider-Man in any of those? Um, did you?
0: Oh. <laughs> that? Only on the shows I was in charge of. If it was somebody else's show. No, I knew not to do that.
2: <laughs> Superhero number five.
0: Yeah. Uh African mutant number number three. I think that was the first Black Panther.
1: <laughs> wow. wow. I guess that was probably the first like Black Panther on screen.
0: Yep. It was the very first one. And wow. I did the very I did the very second one because when I left the 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 X-Men to, to uh direct the Fantastic Four, we had a whole ep we did an entire episode called Prey of the Black Panther where we took the first two issues you know where he gets introduced and you have claw
2: Mm
0: -hmm. we mushed it into one story and that's where um that so i did the first and second appearance of black panther ever wow i just yeah and i made sure that was kirby you know i'm a big kirby fan so i made sure it was all the kirby jungle and kirby this and kirby that yeah i i made sure that was predominant in my version of the of the fantastic four
1: That's, that's one of the things I really like about your work. Like it all feels like the comic books that I've, I've read. It it has that same tone and it's like, they're just animated. They're little animated comic books.
0: Yeah. I did that deliberately. I took, when I did the Black Panther, um, um, I made, I made sure there were certain scenes in the show that were literally panels from the comic books that I just animated. I put them into the shots so that if you knew the books, you, you'd recognize, oh, that's, you know, page 17 or page five. And I, I did that with the X-Men, too, sometimes with the, I think it was the uh, Dark Phoenix, where Wolverine gets knocked down into the stewards or something. And then when he comes up, he's like, like this. I think it was the John Byrne thing. That's in the shot. Wow. Or, when, um, or when the X-Men are fighting the Imperial Guard on the moon. I took certain shots that they had in the comic books and I put them into the show, but so they were like animated versions of the, of the comic books. Yeah. I did that deliberately.
1: Yeah. That's, that's just awesome. Like so many people nowadays just completely throw away the source material and do their own thing. And I, I don't know. I'm just happy to know that people care about it as much as I, I, I like to, and like <laughs> to continue to move it forward.
0: I, I have, I, for me, I have a lot of, I have, yeah, i i enjoy comic books and I'm, I'm a comic book geek so from way way back when but i mushed it together with being a professional director so i kind of blended the two together to make the shows i was working on to make the shows i was working on uh reminisce it would be like there there are parts of people that knew the books could could feel like i it was like it's a comic book but you know it's it's got the um It's got the feels like not every shot is from the comic book, but you get the feeling of the comic books on the screen because I have a lot of respect for the source material. You know, a lot of people when they adapt something, a book into a movie or TV show, they they change stuff. And to me, it's like, just take the books and put it on the screen. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason why we're doing the book. (laughs) So respect the book, you know? Change stuff if you have to. Don't don't just change it because you can, and and so no, just put it on the screen. I mean, there's things you have to change, but only if you have to. I right. mean, like with the X-Men, we had to, we couldn't have like 200 X-Men. We had to call it down to a, a group that the writers could write to. But so that's like a compromise that had to happen, um, because you only have 25 minutes, or 28 minutes to try and tell a story. And so that, that's one of the compromises. but other than that, if you don't have to change it, don't change it.
1: Right. And I wish I wish more people would just take that up. Like I, I'm, I'm getting tired of seeing new takes on characters. I'm like, I just want my character <laughs> no,
0: please. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. you and me both. Um, you know, there's a, there's a reason why they're doing this those stories and it's like respect the source material. How hard is that? You know, but you get people with their ego. I'm I'm somebody and I'm somebody and so I'm gonna make it look and this is gonna be my signature, my my thumbprint on the show. It's like uh,
2: really. Then you end up with The Last Jedi. Speaking of which, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Marvel is known for publishing Star Wars comics. So are you a fan of Star Wars? And oh, yeah. if you had been given the chance, would you have worked on a Star Wars project?
0: I, I think I would have loved to, yeah. Um, I don't know where I would have fit in because I, I'm i old enough that I grew up with the original Star Wars when it was like, when it first came out, and I think in the late 70s, I guess. And uh, I'm not, you know, I have friends that actually, uh, Rick Holberg does a lot of... Uh, it does a lot of promotional artwork for star wars and star wars characters so um if i had been able to be in charge of like maybe an ex uh, sorry uh, a star wars co- uh, cartoon i would have loved to have tried that um i don't know if my artwork was strong enough to for that kind of genre but i think i'm a good storyteller in terms of films where i knew i could i knew how to tell a story dramatically um the last one i think i enjoyed a lot was um uh rogue one I think was the last one I really enjoyed a lot.
2: Yeah and it kind of like... fell off once you got to the new trilogy.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I I don't know why they went in that direction or or the or the editorial <laughs> allowed that to happen. Because they kinda like they kind of like shit on the old Concept, you know, it's like exactly it's not necessary, guys. Why do you do that? But you know,
1: I just want my Luke Skywalker, I don't want
2: him <laughs> crying. Why,
1: why yeah. is Luke crying?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you mentioned like taking characters and giving a new interpretation, I thought of Luke throwing the lightsaber off of the cliff. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah they the, the directors who took over wanted to just hey, these guys don't know what the hell they're doing. and They they, they destroyed the the, the fantasy of of the previous, the the history of what was done before. And just, you know, it's kind of like, hey, these guys don't know what they're doing. Look what I'm doing. And they do this, their version of it, and it's like, it's crap.
2: It's like... (laughs) As much hate as the prequels get, there at least seems to have been a plan. Instead of one movie, and (laughs) then another movie, and then another movie, the three but somewhat at least go together instead yeah. of not having a plan and just throwing it together and hoping it sticks.
0: Yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. I mean, from, let's see the road one. I really liked, mm. I think I liked, um, Oh, what was the other one? Her, the hair, the young Harrison Ford kind of was kind of fun. So but, well, I guess that's yeah, I guess that's what it was. Solo yeah. was kind of fun. It, it it needed editing. But the next one was The Mandalorian. It was like, you know, you walked into it without any expectations and it was like, Wow, this is fun. And mm-hmm. they had a plan. <laughs> <laughs> they knew where they were going with the story.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, they weren't making it up as they were that's what a lot of these things is like they they're making it up as they go along. And it, it's really bad.
1: And it wasn't but it wasn't was, like you were saying it wasn't just the um well these guys obviously didn't know what they were doing look what i'm doing it's each individual movie in this three-part story it's like well this guy didn't know what he was doing this is what i'm gonna do and then they, they came back and followed up on that yeah
2: with, yeah the uh, example i use is jj J. abrams did episode seven and tried to copy a new hope it wasn't a horrible movie but it wasn't anything special <laughs> ryan johnson grant knows where i'm going with this (laughs) ryan johnson comes in on episode eight with the last jedi just shoots him two birds and says i'm doing this my way yeah and then jj abrams comes back on with episode nine shoots ryan johnson two birds i'm doing what i wanted and they just walk around in a circle shooting each other birds Yeah. (laughs) yeah
0: that's a good that's a great way of describing it yeah it's like you need you need someone um like a Kevin Feige, or even um mm-hmm. uh, the guy who wrote John John Favreau
2: Favreau John yeah, Favreau and need someone Favreau.
0: To, to shepherd a beginning and middle and end to know where you're going so that everything makes sense. Everything's like a cohesive there's this, there's at least a spine going like here. Then you build stories around it. Right. Um when we did the X Men um myself uh, will Maniel, uh Eric Lee Wong. Um, oh, God, another guy I can't remember his name. He was another writer. But basically, we would figure out, okay, we got 13 episodes coming season one, where are we going? And they figure out a spine of where we're going to be at the beginning and the end. And then based upon that, I knew how to how to set up the breadcrumbs to get from point A to point B. And we did that every year we did season two, season three, we would get a spine of what we're going to do. And then we would just, you know, do that. And so we basically we did pre-planning ahead of time before just jumping into the water and going and making up stuff, you know. And to me, it just makes sense. Um, with us, uh, we never had a guarantee of another season. When we did season one, we had no idea we we're going to get season two. Literally the last episodes when we told us uh, I had my resume, I was getting ready to try and find another job when they said, don't go anywhere, we got a season two. Okay. Got a season two. At the end of that, again, same thing. Season three. Do we have a season three? Hello? If they had told us, hey, you're getting picked up a two, two uh for two years, like 26 episodes, we could have planned out this whole, you know, interconnected stuff for like two years, but it was only like 12, 13 episodes per year that we could plan out our our uh, strategy. I think it was the third year that we got to do the Phoenix and Dark Phoenix. So we were able to plan stuff. But they never gave us any heads up.
1: You would think that would just be like kind of part of the of the deal. You you the people making it get, like get to know that you want them to make it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> But season one, we, they thought everything we were doing was wrong. We're doing continued stories. We're killing characters off. Um, we were like, um, having kept, kept the the storylines kept continuing from place to place. Um, and we were not writing down to like Scooby-Doo or we're trying to write up to teenage level, which was way above the demographics of Saturday morning and they they were saying season one it's like you're doing it all wrong and so we proved them wrong because the kids enjoyed it but um you know they they didn't believe in the show the first year and uh you know luckily luckily the audience was there you know
1: that seems to be like a sort of a through line with all of the comic book things except for the Marvel Universe, like even DC recently, like we just got the Snyder cut, but it's that same sort of that's not going to work, it's not going to work, and then it comes out and it works, it's like, oh, right yeah Right. yeah,
0: they they, they would just let, if, if you're going to hire someone to do the job you know, let them do their job <laughs> you know right. don't micromanage them, you know, like if, if I'm good enough to be hired let me do the job. Let me put it out there. You know, if it, if it, if it's, if it's going to do a crash and burn, don't hire me again. You know?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like why would you hire someone and then micromanage everything they do? Like if you don't trust them to do a good job, why hire them in the first place? Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
0: Exactly. Yes. So we, we, you know, it's, I've had fans ask me like, you know, what what would you guys do if you did another episode? You know, how would you continue the series and stuff? And it's like, what we did before can't be re- replicated again. It's now it's owned by Disney, and they have layers and layers and layers of management. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, everything I did as as a director was unilateral. I didn't ask permission for anything I did, because they thought the show was gonna do gonna crash and burn, so they didn't really care.
1: You just, you got the freedom of failing like they thought you were yeah yeah
0: and so it's like okay fine i'm gonna add cameos over here i'm gonna do this over here i'm gonna do stuff um that i didn't get permission for but i'm gonna go out with a blaze of glory (laughs) season one you know um then i was lucky enough that it got picked up and so it, it kept going you know yeah and you know morph was supposed to be dead he was not supposed to come back um, but the fans wanted it, so PTSD morph is what we came up with. Wow, it worked. It worked, yeah. So it didn't feel like a cheat. We didn't want to, you know, feel like ah, oh, you guys. I was like, you know, bait and switch. You guys weren't. You know, it's like no, no. He was supposed to say dead, you know. But it still worked. Everybody liked morph, and so came back.
1: Um, it works with the comics too because nothing ever changes they all (laughs) everybody dies they always come back it's right
0: yeah yeah
2: transition
0: transition okay (laughs)
2: vision oh yeah dies and comes back multiple times (laughs) (laughs) several times
0: yeah i i I found it quite enjoyable i mean there are a lot of people who were when it first started, they were going through the 50, 60, 70 stuff. They're like, there were people who were like impatient. Oh man, I hate this. It's crap. Blah, blah blah blah. It's like when I would write on Facebook, I said, look, be patient. There's, a, there's, these guys. I have, I have a lot of confidence. They know where they're gonna go.
2: They have the, a plan.
0: Everything's all these little pieces are gonna connect together to make a better, to make a real good film. So just give it patience, give it time, and then. As it you know, as it progressed, and once you know, once you got to the uh, Monica Ramble stuff, and the other, the guy in charge of SWORD, it's like, oh okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. It started coming together. Right, and and now she has the official title; she's the Scarlet Witch. Even though we knew, but the regular public just (laughs) thought of as Wanda. Now she's the Scarlet Witch.
2: Yeah. So, what did you think about Quicksilver? I really, in this.
0: <laughs> I I don't know if that that bait and switch was really necessary because it really took everybody off to left field. I thought, oh crap, they're going to bring in the multiverse and stuff, jump like that, and I'm going. And then it was just like, it was just like, you know, eh. you know, no, <laughs> I, that I didn't enjoy. I because I thought, eh, I don't know if that was necessary, but um, other than that, um, I like the fact that they, you know, we got. What's her name? Photon, Spectrum, Captain, whatever her name is. I think, now we got yeah. a new character coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, they introduce the scrolls again. And now uh, Wanda's gonna become a new a new good, evil person in the next Doctor Strange uh movie, whenever that comes out.
1: Yeah, I'm,
0: and, thought... and the vision, I have no idea. You got the white vision,
2: <laughs> takes off.
1: Okay. <laughs> flew off to Wakanda to bury himself because he, yeah. <laughs> he didn't be around.
2: Grant yeah. stole my joke. <laughs> I did.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah, he's a Wakanda guy. Yeah, that's right. I mean, a uh, uh, uh,
1: vibranium guy. Yeah. He is. Yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, so. I, I, I,
2: yeah. My mom was watching back through it and she noticed, and what we were talking about with having a plan and having a story, even back in the first episode when Wanda's looking at the calendar with the heart on it, there's a picture of a little girl on a couch watching a TV. Yes. And the whole theme of their whole story is based off of Wanda watching sitcoms as a kid.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you go back and see, you can see all the little little, uh, little nuggets and little pieces here and there that they're giving you. Clues that, that once you get the whole, the whole, once you watch the whole series and watch it again, going, oh, look at this, look at that, look at this. Yeah. It, it all comes together.
2: And people kind of knew agnes was agatha harkness
0: i did yeah yeah yeah.
2: but they they threw in a little hints and helped you figure it out (laughs) yeah and then we got the glorious song (laughs) that is agatha all along
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and now i think that was like um was that malcolm in the middle was that the one that was malcolm in the
2: middle Mm -hmm.
0: or was it the uh, family no no Modern Family, sorry, where they would turn to talk to the camera. Modern Family, that's right. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was a rift on that show. That's right.
1: It's just it was such golden television. Like I I, yeah. I don't know. It's just good. It was Yeah. It's up
0: Go ahead, go ahead, sorry. I was just
1: going to say, it's up there with the X-Men series. Like, I, I was I was having a conversation the other day. Somebody's like, so what's perfect television? I'm like, the X-Men animated series. That's <laughs> it's perfect television. And then this, I'm like, no, this is also perfect television. We just have a lot of perfect TV.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have, I, you know, so far so good. I mean, I have, like I said, I have a lot of confidence that Kevin's going to shepherd these, these shows properly. And um, I look forward to whatever this next round of whatever the, you know, not that we pass in-game, no more infinities. One, well, we well, still have Infinity Stones, but no more, no more Thanos, you know, it's like, okay, there's no more Avengers right now, so let's see what happens. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm enjoying, like, I just saw um, Falcon and... Yeah, Lexus Falcon and Yoda. the Winter
2: Soldier, yeah.
0: Yeah, really fantastic opening with all the flying and stuff, it's like, wow, that's really well made.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what and, do you think of the little... Twist at the end.
0: I can't remember what was it. The U.S. agent
1: with um. Oh God, yes, Jack Walker. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes, that's right. U.S. agent. Uh, I thought it was like okay. I can see where to go on with this.
1: I'm not. I'm not prepared to hate Captain America for the next.
0: <laughs> I know. Neither <laughs> am I. Money. But I'm <laughs> assuming that Cap is not dead, but maybe retired.
2: They may just seem like, well, they may end up with a cat from a different universe. Uh,
0: See, I don't know. They didn't show that. They didn't say he was dead, but it seems like seem he was dead. But you, don't, you, you just don't know.
1: He might be on the moon. Um, they might have it. <laughs> That's <about> true. <laughs>
0: That's true. Remember from the uh, the Falcon was. Um, Here is a guy that saved the universe. Saving all these bad guys puts life at risk. You can't get a business loan. <laughs> it's like, really? I was like, oh my god.
2: The best part was can't get a picture with your arms out.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> his sister started
0: laughing. Yeah. So that that was kind of interesting. How I'm, I'm, the the. The Falcon and, and Super Winter Soldier. That's just that's just six episodes. I think yeah, that's, that's right.
2: Just... It's six episodes.
0: Okay, so it's it's a short one. Yeah. Okay.
2: I don't know the comics with U.S. Agent or Jack Walker or whatever you want to call him, but I don't know how he can make this out alive, or at least as Captain America. Right. I don't think he's ending it as Captain America at the least. If he's not dead. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, my belief is that unless there's a body or they say he's dead, I think he's out there somewhere he's just with that super soldier formula he should be able to live a long time
2: yeah, yeah my brother's thinking that he could be the bad guy behind the mask um, behind the mask the what purple mask? mask
1: from the the trailers
2: uh the guy who jumped out with the bags of money oh, oh
1: possible.
0: or just
2: like the bad guy in this could be him
0: the uh the guy that jumps up the you know i know when falcon saw it he thought he's probably thinking that's the winter soldier that's his suspicion because he that's what a captain america move and Mm -hmm. he's really really strong and Mm -hmm. falcon's trying to call him on the phone and he's not answering you know so yeah, he's busy
2: that... having a date and having PTSD and remembering <laughs> he killed the dude's son
0: yeah yeah that was like my wife was watching it with me night. when it came out I said you know he probably yes he did he killed this guy's son and that's why he's trying to do reparations trying to be nice to him because he know all the bad shit he did before
2: you know yeah. it was funny with the uh, therapy and the lady's like I don't believe that <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
1: Personally, so. I, I just like the more personal side of the heroes. Like, I just that style of storytelling, like, where they can't get the loan. And you're like, why
2: can't these guys get loans? Like, right. How yeah, would not to... give Falcon the loan?
0: <laughs> I know. And I was, when I was going through my mind, I was going, okay, Thor doesn't need a loan. Um, let's see, Iron Man and uh, War Machine, they get paid you know, either government or from Stark Enterprises. Um, Scarlet Witch is dead. I mean, uh, Black Widow's dead. Um, Scarlet Witch is in her own TV show. Um, She
2: can create whatever she needs. Yeah, she
0: she can create whatever she needs. Um, Hawkeye has a house with his wife and kids and somehow they're already financially okay. So then, yeah, you got Falcon, you got Winter Soldier, you know, where, where, yeah, they don't have any I guess yeah, they don't have any money, so you need money to stay 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 around when you don't have the Avengers footing footing the bill, you know.
1: <sighs> so, yeah, just get this guy along, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so easy, yeah, but, yeah. You're a celebrity, but I think, I think the dialogue said that he Falcon disappeared with the blip.
2: Mm-hmm. He did. So he he died. With a
0: blip. Yeah. So he's got. Five or
2: six years where he didn't exist. No Andrew's income. Like, he was like, "Yeah, five years of income." I was gone for five years. Like, I can't control that.
1: You would think yeah. these banks would have like figured out that half the world just disappeared. Yeah, um, <laughs> it should
0: be a blip. you know, like a blip ex- exemption in the uh, documentation.
1: <laughs> I was dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
2: the Almighty Thanos killed me. What could I do? <laughs>
1: yes,
0: uh, I yeah. So, you know, it's interesting that they're that they're carrying this the bl- the blip into all of the continuity. You know, like it's Spider Man and, and in here because there would be a huge imp- you know rep- repercussions if you lost eight million people and then suddenly, oh well, they're back. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, the world would. There have been a couple of TV shows. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, wait, yeah, T V shows like that where people were they come back from the dead and you know how people react to that. And so it's good that Marvel is continuing that that uh repercussions in all their series, you know.
2: We have Spider Man with him trying to figure out what to do after Tony's gone. Yeah. We're gonna have more of that coming up soon. Yeah. Isn't that this like Christmas December. time?
1: It's December. It's weird. Yeah, it's just all good storytelling. I like how they haven't dropped anything yet. It's just gonna yeah. keep rolling. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's 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 entertaining, and I know for me, it's um, I, people, my peers, people about my age, I've told them several times. Look, I'm glad I lived long enough, and I wish Jack Kirby had also to see all of the books I read in the '60s, '70s, '80s up on the screen. And with special effects, with first with uh, good writing, respecting the source material, and with the money and the budget to actually make the special effects work, so that it's it's fun. It was like I'm really glad to live long enough to see all that stuff. That was that was like uh, I'm glad I lived long enough to see it. i you know unfortunately with Jack had too, but but you know at least his heirs see it and his name's up there, so that's great. But um, yeah. Infinity Wars, in game, yeah, I I enjoy those. You know when Cap gets, when you know, yeah, picks up the the hammer. I don't know how it happened in your your theater, but it my I didn't hear any of the dialogue. <gasps> they were just screaming and holler when it when the hammer comes back to th- to Cap's hand. Oh man, <laughs> they were just going nuts because I was in a I was I think I was at uh, the first night. And I was—it's was just full of you know fans, and we just went crazy, you know. And yeah, it was the crap out of Thanos. So it was like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was going nuts, you know. Yeah. Oh, it when so I was so good. saw th-
2: when I was watching that like with my family, I was so confused when the hammer lifted up. My brother was like Cap has it. And I'm like what? And th- he didn't know anything. He didn't have the He was like Cap has it. I'm like what? And then, of course Cap has it. They're like yeah, right. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I was at the theater a week after it came out and my theater erupted. Like, these are people who have seen it two and three times. But they're all like,
0: yes, let's go. Yes. Yeah, they might, yeah, they were all, yeah. I had to see it again because I was like, what did he say? <laughs> I couldn't hear anything. Everybody was just screaming and hollering and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, you know. Yeah. That was such a great, you know, you got the, the way that there was a shot where the um the Russo brothers did the shot of, like Cap by himself on this huge wide shot, caps by himself. Here's Thanos and his an entire army over on this side, and all you hear is like on your left, what
2: you're on dead, your, and what, he, what?
0: <laughs> yeah. And then you see all the all of his his uh backup is coming mm-hmm. in. The audience was going nuts with that too. And then when he finally said the words Avengers. A symbol <laughs> audience blew up <laughs> it blew up man I was like it was like oh man I was that a was kid so epic. I was a kid again watching that thing I and, think you know and the music and everything went together it was like great it so, was... yeah I'm an old <laughs> fanboy so I, I enjoy this stuff and uh, I, I've written on Facebook and Instagram you know if Marvel ever wanted to bring us back i'd love to work on another marvel property like do another x-men or something because uh i enjoy comic books i still go to my i still go get comic books every wednesday i go there and check out stuff so i haven't given i haven't given up up on it um but like i said right now i i purchase more of the independent guys and then i i sometimes i send them unsolicited advice (laughs) and you know like why not try this try that you know and see what they do
1: do you mind if I ask what your favorite like independent comics are? I'm always in the market for something new.
0: Um Oh, let's see. Cuz I I
1: if not that's perfectly fine. I just I I thought you might have some that you really enjoyed.
0: Oh, uh, let's see. Um I've been reading something called Firepower, but see I, I get so many of them. I don't know if I have no, I don't have a favorite, but I, I I try and buy lots of different ones. And uh, so I'm, I don't have a pull list. I kind of like, oh, this is good. Issue number one, I'll buy it. Issue one and two and three, I'll just check it out. Um, I'm kind of all over the place. I don't have any one, but I um, usually it's the fantasy superhero stuff I look for. Once in a while, there's um, something totally out of left field. I, I did, I bought one called... Um, she eats. Uh, who feeds her or something like it was like a a gothic horror film, but the guy did it as a graphic novel. I just literally bought that like last week, and it was like, it was almost like the guy created a, a graphic novel that could be turned into a movie. Wow! And I thought it was well done, um, but it was t- it was my criticism that it was too fast of a read. He, he didn't have enough substance there, but there've been other ones. I you know, I'll I'll send you. Uh, text i'll have to send you an email or something because i don't remember them off the top of my head you know my memory's not that good
1: anymore <laughs> sorry <laughs> right. it's perfectly fine i was just curious i i love an email i'll i'll go to my comic shop and i'll try to pick some of them up then um yeah I, I just i love the comics so you you mentioned that if marvel ever asked you to come back you'd be more than happy to work on something can we start a fan petition to like get you on the new <laughs> x- Men movie?
0: <laughs> I'd love to I mean I go ahead and, and let them know because myself the story editors the original voice actors all of us would love to get together maybe do a one-off you know maybe do a um one one little one-off uh direct-to-video movie or something like what Warner Brothers does and do an, do another x-men story based upon what we had done before and maybe wrap up some storylines or have some fun with it but um that's probably, that's probably the only title, the X Men is probably the only one I would probably unretire for, because I love the characters so much. Um, so I'm semi-retired, but that one I will probably unretire and uh, go back and do some more X Men work, because I enjoy the characters so much. I, I, the point of fact is that I really don't know the X Men anymore after the year of maybe 2003, because you know or as a jubilee became a vampire had a kid uh they got this island with mutants on it uh and all this it's it's like i have not no idea what's going on anymore (laughs) but i knew all the books from 1960s to the other 30 year 2002 and after that it got away from me
1: well i I, we'll we'll get the um hashtag Restore the or the houston verse trending on twitter and we'll see what we can do um (laughs) okay I, no, I would just love to see it. Like again, if if that happened, I, w- I would buy that. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd buy a couple of copies, just sit on my shelf. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I'm,
0: I'm up for that. So and so all the uh, all the other people, the writers, the actors. I've talked to them all, and they said, "Yep, yeah, just get her done."
1: <laughs> just
2: got to get the call from Disney at this point.
0: Yeah, just gotta get a call from like uh, Kevin Favey or uh, John Favreau, or whoever's in charge of that kind of stuff.
2: Get your crap together, Disney. Call them. <laughs> yeah, just,
0: just, just let us know we're here. You know, we only, unfortunately, we only we lost Cyclops, but we still have everybody else. You know,
1: it, I, to me, it would be a no-brainer. Like, I don't understand. Like, you're willing, you're you're ready. People would love it. I don't understand why they just won't do it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. But you know, we, we try and we like interviews like here, uh, Instagram, you know, we and and, um, Instagram was a a Twitter, you know, we try and let people know, hey, not, you know, let them know we're here. (laughs) (laughs) So all we can do is wait, because a lot of the being out of the out of the out of the business for such a long time, all my contacts are like, retired. (laughs) So, um, it's going to be word of mouth, and what I tell people, it's going to be the fans asking uh, the, the powers that be to try and get it. You know, to make it happen, it's got to come from the ground up. Yeah, I mean, like we,
2: we got the Jimmy Woo thing uh, that, like, in uh, a few days, was a couple of tweets on Twitter to a guy actually writing a script and giving a pitch to Disney for it.
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: Yeah, so we've got we've got precedents. We just need to get a bunch of fans behind it. Uh, <laughs> to, yeah. to do it.
0: Yeah. Oh well. If you guys can do it. I love it. You know, oh. Let the fans know we're here and we're, we're you know, see what you guys can do about getting us back back into production.
1: But yeah, I yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go post on Reddit in just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. At least a one-off. Just give us a one-off, at least. You know, let us go out with a bang. <laughs>
1: right. Just a yeah. Well, um, Grant, do you have any more questions? I think I've asked everything I can think of. Honestly, the
2: only thing I can. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, my, the only thing I can think of is Grant and I have had conversations about this. And we've had disagreements. Do you think Wanda could or Scarlet Witch could be a villain in the MCU?
0: Um. Yeah, possibly. She could be one of those... Her, her intentions don't necessarily... Uh, Everybody may not agree with her intentions. Like she took the whole town hostage, but it was out of her grief that it happened. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to do this and she's conscious of it. It just kind of happened. So mm-hmm. I could see that happening because... She could become a villain, but because of her, of her condition, um, and now that they've introduced the uh, oh god, what was it called? The Book of the Dam or the Book of Chulu or whatever that mm-hmm. whatever it was,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, it could probably start turning her in the wrong. She could be learning the wrong lessons from reading that book, and uh, she possibly could, and and. I guess since the next dr strange film is the multiverse of madness you know hey they could bring in you know i figure that's where they're going to try and introduce multiple universes like they do in the um or the cw um dc universe where they've introduced you know the crisis on infinite Earths and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff they're probably starting to introduce, introducing that into the marvel universe of other of the world because they only hinted at it in um, the first Doctor Strange movie of all these, the, the you can hear it in the dialogue, but you never actually saw it, but you heard uh, the ancient one talk about it. So, yeah, she theoretically could be. But I don't. It's um. Yeah, it, it, she's learning stuff.
2: I think um, like dark, hold. Yeah,
0: dark the Dark hold Okay, yeah, that's the, the word. Yeah she's learning stuff she, she she's learning stuff she actually probably needs a teacher first someone to tell her what's going on as opposed to reading this other, oh this is what i'm supposed to be oh i'm supposed to kill people so that you know she's learning all the wrong lessons and it's obvious that her power is really powerful because i think when dr strange would use the astro self his body would remain motionless with mm-hmm. her it's like oh you know, she's walking around and her her astral self is doing other stuff, so it's really um, uh, she's on another level
2: mm-hmm. with this. And that's what Agatha said when she said her powers like exceeds that of the Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, so, yeah. and I don't think, I don't,
0: his amulet, the the Eye of Agamotto, I think had one of the the Time Gem, mm-hmm. and I, I that was his ultimate weapon. I don't think he has that anymore.
2: I don't. So, he, I don't believe he does. No, he does. Yeah, he I does think
0: work. he got destroyed with the uh, gauntlet. So, he would be yeah without that. Without that.
1: That yeah, gem, he's going to be. He's going to be a power
0: level below what he should be.
1: He, he can't bargain with Dormammu anymore.
0: <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I think she could be. We'll see. Um. You guys probably know better than I. When is that Doctor Strange thing supposed to come out?
2: Is That's it next, year? next March, I think. I was thinking it's, it was it's next May. But it's yeah, it's, like, it's okay. right
1: there. Early to mid next year. yeah Okay. Supposedly, well, the, the Spider-Man movie is going to be multiverse as well. Um, really? Like, Alfred Molina has been confirmed to come back as Doc Ock. Um,
2: and Jamie Foxx
1: <laughs> as... Electro. Yes.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, so,
2: March twenty-fifth, twenty
0: twenty two. Twenty twenty two. Okay. Wow so that's a few a days
2: short of a year. Yeah. Yeah. Or wow. a few days over a year.
0: But okay. Well that's something to look forward to. I mean we I I think this is under my <coughs> my my observation, but I think for a movie for watching superhero movies, having a year of a pause from back to back to back to back to back superheroes. But having this this pause, is actually probably was good for the audience because now there's a, a thirst for it again to come back where mm-hmm. before people were speculating that was, people were gonna OD on all of these superhero films back to back to back to back. To back. And uh, I think having that pause helped in one way, the audience, you know, now we we want it again. And also hopefully it gave the writers time to fix—not not just dump the writing out, but actually have time to read what they wrote, <laughs> and then go back and revise it. Oh yeah, you, you know, try and make the stories better than just you know your first thought. Here it is, put it out there, boom, and it's like no, it needed a rewrite a couple of times <laughs> over, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. For um, sure.
0: And that's what they need.
1: Well, oh,
0: let's see. I'm trying to think of stuff else I can think of. Um, let's see what I got here. Anything in my notes? Um, no, I guess I've talked about all what I wrote down. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. I think, did I talk about um, before I got into animation, what I did for a living?
1: Um. You had mentioned it last time we talked about the computer technician, I
0: believe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's I already did that. Okay. Yes, sir.
1: Thank you for coming on. It's been an yeah, absolute pleasure you. to to discuss your work. And
0: no, it's been fun. And, you know, you make you you make me remember stuff I totally forgotten. You know, and it's like, oh yeah, I did work on that, didn't I? <laughs> you know, I, you know. That's why I had to write stuff down because it's like. I, I couldn't remember people's names, and it's like, oh yeah, Dwayne McDuffie, oh yeah, Dennis Cowan, you know that kind of stuff. What shows did I work on? You know, it's good for making the brain work again. Um. The last. Go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say, it sounds like you worked on most of those in your free time.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and that's what, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, there was a lot of freelance stuff that I worked on. You know, I had to curtail it sometime in the 90s because my wife stopped you know she, my, we were raising kids and the wife she's, she's going you're working too much so I had to I had to pull back once the kids got here but before then I was like yeah day and night um us see what show it was there was a show called um mighty orbots I don't know if you guys ever heard that show
1: I I've heard of it I've never seen it I've, I've heard about it
0: yeah mighty orbots and Bionic 6 was mm-hmm. another one. Um, yeah, I did freelance work on for a company called TMS. It was a Japanese studio trying to establish a beachhead basically in America. It, it, it only lasted a year, but um, that was a really good, fun show to work on. And uh, they had excellent animation, but the it, circumstances, things didn't work out right. And so their show didn't, it didn't, it didn't grab a foothold. To me it was the writing, but the animation was gorgeous. And you know, I wish I could have gotten that for the X Men, you know.
1: <laughs> where well, you guys had the great writing. The yeah.
0: who had the great writing, but we had animation. Yeah, you know, good days, bad days, because they when the X-Men went overseas to so a company called Acom, Acom would send out the work to about four of the studios. And so they were like, I think one studio was like really good. The other one was like mediocre you know and like this this uh, this year we get episode one episode two episode three episode four by the time it came back to to the first one you know they're they're doing episode five so it kind of went around and it wasn't like it it wasn't like a direct one two three four five sometimes one studio fell behind so it would skip a studio and so you never knew what kind of quality you want to get and so they were like we're trying to get retakes done to make to fix shows. Like, uh, you know, a character might have an eye that's over here somewhere. You have to put it back. Well, the mouth is going no, no, over here, like, or the wrong colors. Um, and yeah. it was always a game of trying to see how are we going to get back the retakes to fix the shows. And it's a lot of them we didn't get. And that's why when you watch the series, you'll see a lot of um, mistakes. And one of the easiest ones they would make was gambit. Gambit would have black and then you know red eyes. And then there's some scenes where they do just normal eyes, and it's it's wrong, <laughs> but it, yeah. we couldn't get the retakes back. And to try and fix it in post was very expensive because sometimes the character would be like run, and they do this. The character would run and they're trying to try and do a traveling map in the in the 90s was really expensive and it's like you know unless you got the retake you didn't put it in so you know you just kind of live with it okay it's a mistake but let's go with it so uh yeah tms would have been i I think i don't know if it was tms but i know they did an x-men opening in japan that was really, really good, you know. Um, and uh, it's like that would have been a great studio to do the X Men with, but um, they only did the opening. That's all they did was an mm-hmm. intro.
1: So the the iconic intro that everyone on Twitter seems to love, like with a burning passion, that that's the one they did. Well,
0: mm-hmm. the one they did was like uh, they did a variation. I did. I drew the opening title. I drew the intro, the first one. But then japan did another one they did their very they did their variation on the theme with uh there's a lot of brood characters um i don't know if you go online you can find it somewhere but there's a there's like a japanese intro to the x-men idea you know, so it's different from the one i drew but the quality of the animation was like wow i want that i wish i could have had that <laughs> but you know, it was all down to dollars and cents you know you know the uh, company that did the X Men was a company called um, Saban, um, and Saban did not have back end money. They weren't getting like money from the toys, money from the T shirts, money from stuff. They just got their licensing fee. So for them, um, their incentive was zero. You know, for doing anything, and so they they wouldn't increase the budget because then they would be losing money and so we had to work we had to do a workaround to try and get stuff done because Savan was in no position to try and um, do anything to help the series in terms of quality they they got all the big book because they else they created they created they they uh they did the um power rangers and they owned that 100 percent, and so all the toys everything from power rangers was money in their pockets you know the x-men no just a licensing fee so um we had to live within a tight tight budget in doing our shows
1: it it says something that you made it so good in spite of the the studio not caring or the the company not caring i guess
0: it was it was a yeah thank you but it was yeah. it's it was a question of um from nineteen, when I got into, from 1981 to nineteen eighty one to nine, it's like I had about eleven years of experience of producing shows. So I knew how to to um, put together a show within my budget range, you know. And so I, I figured out one thing you'll notice, except for like the, maybe the first couple of episodes, if you watch the X Men, nobody walks. I took it all walking. It's like they say okay, let's go. Next thing you cut to a jet flying away. I never let him
1: walk. I did. I, I didn't notice that. I didn't think to notice no,
0: that. Yeah. I, I did that. Yeah. I did that on purpose because that cuts out a lot of extra animation that can kill an animator and it gets, it makes the stories go like this.
1: Right.
0: Um, but I learned that lesson when I did the first two episodes, like night of the Sentinels. And, uh, I saw how good they could do walk cycles. And I'm like, mm, I'm not going to do that again. So after that, I got rid of walk cycles. I mean, unless you had a scene where, like, it's very, it's the mood. You walk in the door, it's dark, long shadows. And the characters would walk in because that's part of the, 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 the scene. But in general, no walking. Wow. And I, I mean, little. yeah.
1: I just need to rewatch it now because I'm like, I, I got to see this.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's you no know, walking. If I could, if I could cut out walking, I did. You know, it's just a lot of work for the animators. And uh, I tried to simplify the scene so that scenes weren't full animation like Disney. It was like, it was like more like a giant quest. Like you get a great shot, a great drawing character. And at most maybe he does this if he does that at all. And that, that allowed the animators overseas to really draw really detailed like, like cable and stuff with all the detail. But there's no animation work where he's got to move around 360. That was my trick with the sinister, because I wanted to keep the costume complicated, but he's got this rooster tail tape. I mean, and he's got lines here. He's got the tail that's not it's not like one piece like Superman. It's got all these pieces back here. So you know, if the character does this, that's a lot of lines for the animators to keep track of. So, when you saw Sinister, he will usually come out of the black, maybe from chest high, and um, he he talked to you. When you cut back, he's over there, and then he talked to you. Maybe he's over there, and then when you see him at the end, he has the, the you know the evil laugh, and he just goes back into the shadows. But but maybe, you know, chest high. Wow. I kept him. I approached him like Dracula, and I. The storybook guys would draw maybe full animation. I would just erase it and and do what I just described to you
1: to and minimize
0: it, the the work the animators had to do.
1: And it adds to the tone as well because he you never see him doing anything. He's just he's done it, and it's yeah.
0: right. And He had the creepy voice, and I made him like Dracula, and I made him into a cool character. And um, the initial version of of um, sinister had the had the teeth, and then. Only from uh, Mark Silvestri drew it. And every issue after that, he had regular teeth. And I called up Bob Harris in Marvel Comics. I said, what happened to the teeth? And he said, what's easier to draw with just teeth? So when I hung up the phone, I told my designers, we're gonna do the teeth. Because it just made the character more interesting. And that's why he looks like that. Because he was actually drawn that way on page one of the very first
1: X-Men. So I kept wow. that look. That's that attention to detail is just it astounds me. I I know I could never do anything quite that detail. <laughs> I just be like he's there. Okay, great.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it just helped. It helped make the character cool. And if you go back to watch Sinister, except for when he's fighting Cyclops, I I tried not to let him. Most characters don't walk. Oh, let's say, look, let's go see Morph over there, and that's all you—you get a hand gesture maybe, and then you'll cut to the location where they're supposed to go to, and they might walk into scene or they might already be there. So I minimize walking as much as possible,
1: and yeah, it just—it just, just, it just makes production it, I can faster, see that. you know. It's just a waste of time and animation.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we didn't have that high of a budget. I didn't have that high, you know. I couldn't count on high quality overseas, so I had to try and work within my budgets.
1: Yeah, that's again just the the way you were able to make the show so excellent and like I mean, it stood. It's it's a classic at this point, without the studio trying to help you out. It's just amazing to me.
0: Thank you. It's it's real satisfying knowing that. from the time i finished the x-men until the time i retired um i pretty much thought everybody forgot about it because you know marvel wasn't um doing anything with the x-men actually they were actively trying to kill the x-men because it was owned by uh fox was it fox i guess yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so you know they they changed um um wanda and petro from being mutants to being something else i mean they tried to downplay mutants and they tried to bring up everybody's an inhuman now, that kind of stuff. Um, and until Disney bought all of that, those rights back, um, I pretty much thought X-Men was gone from the from the from the culture consciousness, I should say. And um, you know when Eric and I would go out on conventions, well he wrote his first book, we got no support from Marvel because it was owned by Fox. So we were kind of like the bastard children out there, <laughs> going and seeing people and everything. And it wasn't until Marvel bought it all the stuff back that now we're in that. Hey, we're good kid.
2: We're we're back in the family again. You know. You make us money. Welcome back. <laughs>
0: so, and it's a good thing. You know, that's how, I think that's probably why I got a chance to do the um, the very covers and stuff. You know.
1: I am. I'm looking forward to those variant covers now. I'm. I, I, I appreciate the heads up. Now I'll be able to scan the comic shots. <laughs> let me know when they come in, please. Somebody, I'll let you know what. Yeah,
0: I'll let you know what they do with it because it's like, yeah, we'll. Yeah, I, 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 hopefully they'll tell me what issue it'll be on, so I can go buy some myself <laughs> or have them ship me some copies. Yeah. Uh, you know.
1: I'm just. Again, I'm just excited now. I. I, I don't know. I just it, the whole thing. I'm just like. Yes, somebody else that cares about this and has actually done the work on it. Yeah. I did my best. I did my best, and uh,
0: like I said, I'm I'm glad it turned out the way it did, and um, I, I was blessed to be in the right place at the right time. So I'm glad I was able to make a difference in the entertainment for a lot of for a generation of of uh, kids who grew up with it because I tried to do my best to be to inspire. Another audience, the way I was inspired with the stuff I saw in the '60s, you know, mm-hmm. trying just you know, kind of pay it forward, that kind of stuff.
1: You did an excellent job, and thank you for for your work on the childhoods of so many.
2: We hope you guys enjoy the interview as much as we did. It's been great both times we've had Alary on just to hear him talk and tell all of his stories from his time in animation. It's it was truly an honor to have him on. Hopefully we can have some more people on in the future to interview. Um, if you guys want to interact with the show, you can send in an email at muchtalkaboutnothing at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at muchtalkaboutnothing. or on Twitter at podcast. We have a Discord, which is linked in the description below. As I'm recording this, we just Rickrolled Grant and Brett, so I hope you guys enjoy that. Um, that's the type of stuff we like to do in the Discord. As well as we have our new website, which is Much Talk About Nothing. And for Grant, I have been Grant, and we hope to we'll come back next time for more Much Talk About Nothing. <music>